this is kind of the week for us as a community where we begin back into our normal rhythm as a church community, as a church body. Um, one of those rhythms is our city groups, uh, which kick off this week for the semester, um, which I'm pumped about. How many of you are excited about city groups? Aren't they awesome? We had a city group leaders retreat back in December, and there was this competition on like, whose group is the best. And I love that. I think that's beautiful um, to see, like, there's such pride in my group. This is great, you know. Um, if you're not a part of a group, I encourage you to do so. I encourage you to get plugged in, get connected, um, be in community. You can't grow apart from community. You can't grow in isolation. It's not the way of Jesus. I don't see it in the New Testament. Also, the Vine kicks off this week with their first gathering of the semester. The Vine is our intentional college community that gathers once a month. Um, really pumped about that. And to kick off the year, we have been very intentional on pressing into prayer. I desire for our, our community to be a community of prayer and to press into the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit and to see more of the kingdom of God come to Greensboro as it is in heaven. And so to do that, we launched last week a 21-day prayer and fasting season. So we are right in the middle of this 21 days of prayer and fasting. And last week, about 90% of you responded in commitment to this season of prayer and fasting. So I'm excited to hear stories of what God is doing in this season. For some of you, this first week was just trying to figure out how to fast. You're trying to figure out, you know, if you're, if you're not eating certain things, how do I even do this? You know, Monday, Jordan and I had headaches. We were like, we're going to die. This is insane. You know, a few hours in, how is this going to work? And then Fresh Market came through in the clutch. Praise God. Um, some of you, it's been social media. Some of you, it's been television. Who knows what it is? But I'm praying you encounter something fresh and new during this 21-day season, not only personally but for us communally as well and in our city. So to do that, we have launched into the Lord's Prayer, this classic um, teaching from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount uh, to his disciples. And we've looked at both uh, Matthew chapter 6 as well as the Luke 11 reference to the Lord's Prayer. Because in Luke 11, the disciples say, Lord, teach us how to pray. Or Lord, teach us to pray. They specifically asked that of Jesus. They could ask about, Lord, teach us how to raise the dead. Teach us how to turn water into wine. Teach us how to turn, you know, all the, just a couple of pieces of loaves and fish and feed multitudes. Teach us how to preach. Teach us how to teach. Teach us how to heal the sick. Teach us how to prophesy. But instead, they say, teach us to pray. And so we've been intentional in looking at Jesus' response that he gives them from the Matthew account. So let's go ahead and jump there. Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be this morning, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. And as I mentioned last week, it's probably good that you spend some time in verses 5 through 8 to get a preface for this passage of Scripture. This is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, sort of a manifesto of sorts for the kingdom of God that we'll look at in just a second. Um, And it reads this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13. It says, this then is how you should pray. This is Jesus talking. Our Father in heaven, matter of fact, let's, let's read this aloud together. Can we do that as a community? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Some translations close by saying, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And the church said, amen. Lord Jesus, we love you. Meet with us now through the teaching of your word. 
transform our hearts, God. I, I believe there are people in this room today, and I believe there's someone here for the very first time that you are tugging on, and they showed up for a very specific reason this morning. And God, I pray that they encounter you today in a posture of surrender. The way of Jesus is very simple. Surrender to Jesus. Surrender to Jesus. Love you, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Many of you know this. Many of you don't. But Jordan and I both went to undergrad at a private school in Indiana called Indiana Wesleyan University. And four and a half years later, I received a degree in business and a minor in sociology. And while I was in Indiana, I honestly became so bitter towards the flatlands and towards the cult. Um, But I was able to survive, although it did take me a little while because I changed my major, no joke, six times. Was in registrar's office six times. I think the lady knew me by name, honestly. Spencer, what are you doing here again? I'm like, I rebuke you in Jesus' name, you know? She's like, it's been a week. I'm like, shut your mouth. Um, Six times, changed my major, seriously. Yeah, like I'm totally following God's call. What am I doing? Um, Some of you, that's you in college now. Or that was you back in college. That's okay. There's no shame, guilt, or judgment. Um, But while I was in Indiana and experiencing the harsh cold and all the things of the flatlands and really fell in love with North Carolina while I was in Indiana, I did become very intrigued with something that is very unique to Indiana and the Midwest. And that is Amish culture. I don't know if you've ever been to Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana, the Midwest, but there is a large group or a decent amount of folks who are part of a community called the Amish. Um, Some of you know them by big beards and hats. Don't think Amish mafia, that is fiction, it's not real, okay? But I became so interested. I saw horse and buggy on the road. I'm like, this is so intriguing to me, you know? And some some buggies look nicer than others. You know what I mean? I'm like, I wonder if they're like in their community, they're like, yo, that, that, that buggy's like pimping, you know what I'm saying? That's killer. That's a sweet buggy. You know, I don't know. Um, you'd roll up past the house in the middle of nowhere, and there's like six buggies on Sunday morning. They're having their church gathering there. Um, but the Amish are what is known as a separatist community. Um, and so what that means is they have attempted to separate themselves as best they can from the, the modern society at large, from the modern perspective. And one of the multiple ways in which the Amish do this is by not using electricity. Um, now, some Amish do, depending on how um, you know, fundamental or hardcore they are, but the most fundamental ones, at least, do not use electricity. Interestingly enough, though, we have one Amish community in North Carolina. Fun fact, you want something fun to do. Just west of Winston-Salem, towards Yadkinville, a small community called Union Grove. There's about 20 Amish families, and I know that because that's where our dog, Coda, came from. So our dog is Amish. Hello. Um, I literally picked him up, and the kids came home from school in horse and buggy. I was blown. I was blown away. Um, But once electricity was invented in the 19th century, a whole new reality amongst all folks in, in the West especially was set forth. With that being said, the Amish chose to not enter into that reality. They never stepped into the world or the kingdom of electricity. Never once. In many ways, 
this is how the kingdom of God is and how it is manifest in the world today. It is a reality that exists, but not everyone. As a matter of fact, most people in the world have not succumbed to that reality. They have chosen to stick to candles and kerosene instead of entering into, quote-unquote, the kingdom of electricity or the kingdom of God. This quote says it best from Ruth Haley Barton. The kingdom of God is here now if we are willing to arrange our life to embrace it. The kingdom of God is here now if we are willing to arrange our life to embrace it. It is among us. Reminds me a lot of Black Panther, the movie. How many have seen Black Panther? Wakanda forever, you know. Wakanda is this nation, this kingdom that is invisible to the outside world but is real. Invisible to those who are aware. That is a very metaphoric representation, I think, of the kingdom of God. In previous teachings, we have taught that the core teaching of Jesus, hear me out, the core teaching of Jesus in the gospel accounts was repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That is the core teaching of Jesus. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. We see that in Matthew chapter 4. Specifically in Matthew 4, 17, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach or proclaim the kingdom of heaven. From that time on, I'm thinking means he did this consistently throughout his ministry. From that time on, he began to repent, but repent, claim this message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, some of you hate the word repent, but repent really means rethink or have a new paradigm. Have a paradigm shift. Rethink how you're living. Rethink how you think. Rethink how you love. Rethink how you behave. Rethink how you act. Rethink your heart. Rethink your mind. Rethink your soul. The entire Sermon on the Mount, as I referenced a second ago, is a kingdom manifesto of what the culture of the kingdom looks like. It gives us a glimpse. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. If you're figuring, trying to figure out, where do I spend time in the Bible this year? I don't want to do the one-year Bible. That's just, whoa, that's a little weighty. Where do I spend time? Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Spend some time there. Because it is a glimpse into the culture of the kingdom from Jesus. It is how citizens of the kingdom, followers of the way of Jesus, disciples, live, think, and act. The characteristics of a follower of Jesus. It isn't something we simply strive for. He just paints a picture of what it looks like to say, if we come and die, we come and follow him, this is how your life will look. This is how you will live. Jesus comes as the messenger to let everyone know of this kingdom of which he is king. Of which he is king. Now Israel at this time, the first century, had been anticipating a king for a long time. Anticipating a king and a coming kingdom that would eradicate the powers at be in the kingdoms of the world. Specifically, they had a desire and a prayer for a Davidic king. Think about King David in the Old Testament. You know, David knocks down Goliath. The King David. They wanted this 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 strong physical presence who would conquer with a sword. Jesus comes into the picture and conquers as a sacrifice. But they've been anticipating a king and the initiation of a kingdom. So this all makes sense in the large narrative of the scriptures. 
This connects the Old Testament to New Testament. That's why some of us need to go back and read some of the Old Testament to understand what all is happening when we start to read the teachings of Jesus. Or we see kingdom and we're like, okay, what does that even mean? Like, I don't understand. For first century Jews, it would make full sense. kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is one of the core tenets of Jesus' earthly ministry. One of the core tenets of his ministry. He has come to let everyone know of the universal rule and reign of Yahweh through himself. Through himself. He is God in the flesh. That is when we say the incarnation. He is God incarnate teachings in the flesh. The word kingdom, as we've said before in previous teachings is used over 150 times in the New Testament alone. The word kingdom, over 150 times. It is used over 50 times in the book of Matthew alone. Matter of fact, I think if Matthew had kind of a go-to word for his biography of Jesus, it would be kingdom, or it would be king. That's like his go-to word. For John, it's words like love and life. For Matthew, it's king and kingdom. This is very repetitive in the gospel account that Matthew is giving us. Why? Because Matthew is speaking to a Jewish audience. That's his audience that he is speaking to. And he himself is a Jew, so this makes total sense. Kingdom alludes to rule and reign. It alludes to dominion, the expansive space of which God has dominion the space and people in the space in which he is king over that is what the idea of kingdom represents some of you thinking magic kingdom in disney world where mickey mouse rules and reigns over this space in orlando florida where it seems to be the highways never get fixed for the last two decades right the kingdom this is a space that god rules and reigns Scott McKnight gives a simple definition of kingdom. It's a people governed by a king. A people governed by a king. So the question we then have to ask, we look at the text, we see this idea of kingdom. This is before we even get to this part of the prayer. We have to ask the question, a couple questions, matter of fact. Who is king? Somebody answered it for me. I love that. Yes. Who is king? Jesus is king. Matter of fact, you see over and over again in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as what? Lord. Newsflash, that's a synonym for king. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is king. We have to know who the king is when we're looking at this idea of a people governed by a king. The king is Jesus. He is king. He is Lord. Yes, he's Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is also rabbi. He is teacher. He is also king and Lord. He functions in each of those spaces. But notice that it's singular. There's not kings. It's not plural. There is one king. His name is Jesus or Yeshua in the Hebrew. One king, not multiple kings. You're not king. I'm not king. Whoever's over the culture is not king. The president's not king. Emperors are not king. Your mama's not king. Your cousin's not king. LeBron ain't king. Cultural reference. Kanye got it right, okay? Jesus is king. All right, cultural reference for all you who don't have a clue. That's okay. Um, so then we asked another question. Who are the people of this kingdom? Who are the people in the kingdom, right? You got to have a king and you got to have people in the kingdom. The people of the kingdom 
is the body of Christ. It's the church. In the Old Testament, it was Israel. It was the people of God. In the New Testament, it is the collective body, the universal, the Catholic church. The word Catholic means universal. Okay, it's the holy Catholic church. It's the universal body of Christ. And guess what? Not just in America. (laughs) Not just in the Bible Belt. It's the universal church. Just in a little bit, the end of this service, Sarah Ludwig's going to come up. She's spending six months in Africa, South Africa, working with a ministry organization that, guess what, is a part of the church. The kingdom of God. They are the people in this kingdom all over the world. Matter of fact, the the kingdom of God is is moving the most in the south and in the eastern part of the world right now. Exploding. Exploding. So the, the church is the people in the kingdom. We are the people in this kingdom. So then the next question we ask is, how does this king rule? So if he rules and reigns, in what way does he rule or reign? In what way does he govern this kingdom? And I have good news for you, friends. Jesus rules and reigns and governs by redeeming, renewing, restoring, and rescuing. That is his way of ruling in his kingdom. For most of us, when we think of the word gospel, this is where we typically go, how he rules and reigns that impacts us, which means it's good news. But there's a higher reality of what the gospel is, and that is that Jesus is king, and he has unleashed his kingdom. It just so happens that he rules and he reigns by redeeming, renewing, restoring, and rescuing. And there's testimonies all in this space today of God's redemptive work. Go read the Old Testament book of Hosea and look at a metaphoric image of a redemptive God. Redeeming and restoring and rescuing. Some of us have been on the path of total destruction. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've been redeemed. Some of us have. Some of you have not been redeemed. You have yet to surrender, to submit to that Maybe it's a cool theory or an idea, and you kind of get it, but you have not yet submitted to that reality this morning. My prayer is that by the end of this gathering, the Holy Spirit would tug on your heart, and he would woo you and draw you to submit yourself to the lordship of Christ. And guess what? Whether you submit or not doesn't dictate his lordship. Sometimes we say, I made Jesus Lord of my life. but He already is. just depends if you submit or not. You have to submit to Jesus as king and as Lord. So he rules and governs by redeeming, renewing, restoring, and rescuing. Jesus often refers to the kingdom as something to be entered. Throughout the Gospels, the kingdom is something to be entered, meaning that it is a space that as we submit to Christ as king, we live in a way that is evidence of the kingdom. We live in a way that points to another culture and another way of living. A subversive way, the way of the kingdom. The current world, because of brokenness, functions upside down. Do you understand that the way the world is, is not the right way? It is upside down. And the way of the kingdom is right side up. It is the way things are supposed to be. It is the right 
way. That is the idea of justice. Justice means to make things right, the right way. Because of brokenness, though, the world functions upside down. It is where all things are made right in the kingdom of God and full, full of God's purpose and design for humanity is fully carried out. That is what happens in the kingdom of God. God's full purpose and design for humanity is carried out. I was listening to a podcast this past week talking about the Torah and the Old Testament laws. And we go, why are they like, what is, why are the laws even there? Like, what? I don't understand. There's like 600 some laws. This is crazy, you know. And I never thought about this. But Jesus is looking at humanity, and obviously in the Old Testament, Israel's really struggling. They're really struggling to figure things out and to function the way that they are supposed to function and through God's original design and purpose. And so the Lord sets the laws in place, not as a standard to reach and meet and say, yes, we did it, but really as a means to experience what the world is supposed to be like. And they're like, he's like, there's just no way. There's no way possible. So Jesus enters into the picture as the bridge and as the king to be able to provide a bridge for those of us who surrender to him that we might can now live in the fullness of human flourishing in the way in which we were meant to as children of God. Electricity, there are, but as we've noticed with the idea of the Amish and electricity, there are systems, people, powers and kingdoms in this world that have not stepped into the reality of the kingdom of God. Anyone agree? You agree? Yeah? Yeah? Some people are like, I don't know. Right? There are kingdoms, powers, and systems at B in this world that do not function the right way. They have not yet succumbed to the reality that Jesus is king. And as long as we continue to, in our culture, pursue utopia, pursue a kingdom without a king, it will always function in dysfunction. To have a kingdom and to have utopia, this, this human flourishing experience, you have to have a king. And that's the problem in America right now. We want utopia. We want a kingdom. We want people to flourish. and We want things to be right, but there's no king. So we run around like chickens with our head cut off, submitting to no one. We have to submit to Jesus as king. As we, as a follower of Jesus, follow King Jesus, we usher in the reality of the kingdom of God and the way things are meant to be. It is a kingdom of now and not yet at the same time. Understand the kingdom hasn't been fully restored, obviously. It hasn't fully come to earth. It's overlapping right now, but the Lord is in the midst of a restoration project, and at a certain point in time, all things will be renewed, and all things will be restored. It's been inaugurated, but not yet fully realized. It will at the second coming of Jesus. Yet, most Christians, most followers of Jesus, see the kingdom as something of the future. Your kingdom come. You're like way, looking way off into the distance as you pray that prayer. Come. Like you, you see it as something way off into the future or even a place in a far off land that God's kingdom is in some far off land. That is not the biblical case. So why do we pray your kingdom come? Why do we pray this classic prayer? We don't pray your kingdom come as a way of initiation. Or a way of initiating the beginning of the kingdom. That is not why we pray. But as to invade the kingdoms that haven't submitted. That is why we pray your kingdom come. 
We aren't initiating the coming of the kingdom when we pray. It's already been initiated. It's already been inaugurated. But we are praying that it would invade and take dominion and rule over the kingdoms of the world that have not yet come under the rule of Christ. Some of you are taking notes. I'm so encouraged. I love that. We have free journals out there in case you didn't know. Go get you a journal. Dallas Willard and James. I love it. So when Jesus directs us to pray, thy kingdom come. He's using King James. Shout out. Thy kingdom come. We pray for it to take over at all points in the personal, social, and political order where it is now excluded on earth as it is in heaven. Let me read it again. So when Jesus directs us to pray, thy kingdom come, we pray for it to take over at all points in the personal, social, and political order where it is now excluded on earth as it is in heaven. We aren't simply praying for saved souls, but praying for the rule and reign of God to invade every corner and facet of the culture. By us being the people of God, the church, we are the ones who have been asked to partner with God as he is on mission as he is on mission for the renewal of all things, the missio day, the mission of God. God is on a mission. It's the renewal of all things. We find ourselves, those of us in this space today, we find ourselves in schools, neighborhoods, families, coffee shops, and offices where we are the chosen ones to seek first the kingdom of God, to seek the rule of God, to seek redemption, to seek restoration, to seek renewal, to seek justice, to seek the way things are supposed to be. We are the chosen ones. Some of you hate your jobs this morning, but it might be that you're the chosen one for that space. Some of you thought about transferring. Like, I just don't really like where I'm in school right now. Maybe you're a chosen one for that space right now in this season to seek first the kingdom of God, to seek renewal, to seek restoration, to seek justice. To be a witness to the kingdom of God, to the way things are supposed to be. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, one of my favorite verses of all time, says, We are therefore Christ's ambassador, means ambassadors. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Ambassador means to be a representative of. Do you represent the kingdom of God? Does your life, behaviors, actions, thoughts, heart, soul, does it represent the kingdom of God? In your school, in your workplace, amongst your friends, your homies, your family, your neighborhood, does it represent another way of living to a point that people get intrigued with your practices and how you behave and act and think and talk? Or do you, are you an ambassador of the culture? Because last I checked, we can't be ambassadors of two things, only one. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We've been given the opportunity to partner with God. Matter of fact, the Greek word is presbuo, which comes from the idea of presbyteros, where we get the idea of Presbyterian. And it's the idea to be a representative of or for and it also is a verb. It means to act as a representative. Not simply to be, 
but to act as a representative of something or someone for us. It is the kingdom of God. It is the way of Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus calls us to be salt and light, to permeate everywhere that we are. Salt and light permeate. We've been in the midst of this fasting season, Jordan and I both, and salt's become a good friend. Praise the Lord. I'm like, seriously, you got you to just throw it in there. And you can tell it's in there, too. We made these peanut butter balls with oats. I would never make these, like, on my own. But in this fast that we're on, in the midst of this Daniel fast that we're on, it's the best tasting thing all week. Seriously. Mashed banana, oats. You got these little sea salts that we threw in there, too, that were really big. Like, I'm, I'm like, I don't know that we're supposed to have a sea salt this big. And I'm biting down, and I'm like, you know, chewing on sea salt. But you can tell when salt is in something, can you not? Do people in your workplace know that Jesus is there when you walk into the room? Are you functioning as salt in the room? Or are they like, yeah, that's just another person. Just another coworker or colleague. So what does the rule of God look like? What does it look like? Matthew uses what is known um, as parallelism. It's literally as your kingdom come and stops. It just says your kingdom come. However, Matthew also says your will be done. Matthew is helping us to see what it means for the kingdom to come. He is helping us see what it means for the kingdom to come. Your kingdom come, and when it does, your will will be done. That is what it means. When the kingdom comes, God's will is done. His purpose, his desire comes on earth as it is in heaven. It is wholeness in the midst of brokenness. It is holiness in the midst of wickedness. It is love in the midst of hate. It is unity in the midst of division. It is community in the midst of individuality. It is surrender in the midst of resistance. It is humility in the midst of arrogance. It is a subversive, right-side-up way of living. That is the will of God. And when his kingdom comes, his will is done. They are almost synonymous. It is to see the society of heaven, the way of Jesus, lived out in a way that shifts the natural world right side up. And we are the chosen ambassadors. We wear the jersey. We put the helmet on. We put the pads on. It is us, the church, the bride of Christ, a people, a chosen people, royal priesthood to be Christ's ambassadors until his second coming. But we work with him now in the restoration project to restore all things. This past week, uh, some of you spouses will really understand this, you married couples. Um, Jordan was getting ready one morning, and I was still asleep, because usually I get up later than Jordan, I'll be honest with you. I got to get beauty sleep, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Jordan's up, and it's dark. And she, bless her soul, is so gracious and loving and amazing and is trying her best to get ready in the dark. Anybody been there before? You know, spouses, you're trying to get ready in the dark. You know, you don't want to wake your spouse up. And she goes into the closet. And for Christmas, um, we got these LED 
bright, bright, like portable work lights, because our closet has no light in, in it. And she goes in there with this portable light, this LED light, work light, turns it on, and I thought that creation had happened all over again. I mean, I was like, whoa! I was like, I literally yelled out, the light! I was like, the light! She turned it on, and was, I'm so sorry, I'm trying to get ready, you know? And I was like, it's okay, baby, I love you, turn it off. Um, but, but when the kingdom comes, and will is done, God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven, it is citizens of heaven going into the dark spheres of this world and turning the light on. Walking through each room of the culture and turning the light on. I don't know about you, but I hate coming home to a dark house. As soon as I go in, the first thing I start doing is flipping on every last light in the room. Turn it on. There are dark rooms in this culture that though electricity, quote-unquote, exists, the light has not been turned on yet. We have been chosen to turn the light on. Because guess what? A light can't be turned on without someone in the room. You've been chosen to be in a room, and some of you are in a room. Maybe it's your workplace, your family, your school, your neighborhood. Maybe it's you that God has asked to turn the light on. But... There's another room, or another set of rooms where the light also has to be turned on. St. Teresa of Avila in the 16th century wrote a book called The Interior Castle. It's this contemplative book and the idea that our soul has many rooms. And for someone, for some of us, to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, we are also turning on the light in the various rooms of our heart. Because some of us here today have some dark rooms in our heart. The living room light might be on, but the bedroom light's not on. The kitchen light's not on. But you've just been sitting in the living room your whole life. The Lord's saying, I want you to go into the dark place. Turn the light on. Let my will be done in your heart as it is in heaven blew my mind. Not only do we flip on the lights around us in the culture, but there are lights in our heart that have yet to be turned on. But God's will isn't being done. Our will is being done. Our purpose is being carried out and being fulfilled. But he is calling us to begin turning on the light in the various rooms of our heart. What are the rooms in your heart this morning? What are the rooms in your heart where it's not God's will being done but your own? Where the rule of God doesn't rule. He doesn't have dominion because you do. Because to pray your kingdom come is to also pray your rule come. Your redemptive rule come. Rich Velotis has this quote. He says, to pray your kingdom come is not just, Lord, save every soul, but, Lord, make everything right, including every soul. Christian, I'm going to get you to come up. 
We're going to begin to close this morning. The unique thing is that all of us as followers have been commissioned and sent by Jesus to go into the world, to make disciples of all nations, to go and proclaim the gospel, proclaim the good news. So we pray this prayer as we are going. We pray this prayer as we are sent. We seek this rule. We seek this kingdom as we are sent by God. This isn't merely a static prayer, but a dynamic one. Also, because this is Jesus teaching how to pray, and Jesus is God. God desires that his will, purpose, and kingdom take root here and now. He desires that his kingdom take root here and now. We as followers of the way of Jesus, and maybe you're not one today, but you've been invited to be one. You've been invited to the table. We are to have kingdom participation. Jesus describes the kingdom oftentimes as as a seed or as yeast, meaning that we are all sent out in the world as the kingdom of God is brought to earth through us, and we are planting seeds from within, a tangible but seemingly invisible world. So where do we start? Where do we begin? When I read this prayer this week, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, I thought to myself that we need to start there and work backwards to know where to begin. So here's a paradigm for us this morning as we look at this prayer from Jesus. Your kingdom come, your will be done in Jesus' name on the screen in a second. We have to start backwards. So where does the kingdom take root? Where does it take root? By this prayer alone, we see that the kingdom takes root in the world takes root in the world. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The second place we see where the kingdom takes root is in the city. Your will be done in the city as it is in heaven. If we move down a little bit more micro, we see the neighborhood. Your will be done in the neighborhood as it is in heaven. We continue to move down further we see the table. Your will be done at the table as it is in heaven. This means the relationships that you are in. In a couple of weeks, we're honored to have Dana Carr with us, who's going to be speaking specifically and teaching on the idea of the table. Who is at your table? Who are you inviting to the table? And what does it look like for the rule of God to take over your table? And then we get even further down to the place that a lot of us don't want to go, and that is the heart. Your will be done in my heart as it is in heaven. Who or what rules you this morning? Whose or what kingdom are you an ambassador of? One of the key reasons that the kingdom God isn't taking root is because we aren't in the scriptures. We don't know what it means to look like the kingdom of God. We don't know what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God because we don't spend time in the scriptures. For us to know what the kingdom of God looks like, we have to look at the teachings of Jesus. We have to spend time in prayer, spend time in the scriptures. And a fascinating study came out from Logos 
Bible software where they polled 40,000 people across different age groups and he found a fascinating piece of data. When you open your Bible one time a week, which could be this morning, nothing happens. It really affects nothing. If you open your Bible two days a week, still nothing really happens. If you open your Bible three days a week, you start to see a heartbeat. You start to see some life. But when you open your Bible four days a week, there is an exponential shift in its effect on your life. 40,000 people in this research study. Sharing your faith increases 200%. Discipling others increases 230%. Alcoholism drops 60%. Feeling lonely drops 35%. It's fascinating. Is it causation or correlation? I don't know, but I know that the Word of God is transformative. You got to get into the Scriptures and read about the way of Jesus and spend time with the Lord in the Scriptures. We have to seek first the kingdom of God and pray your kingdom come your will, your design, your purpose, what is right, be done in my heart as it is in heaven, in the neighborhood as it is in heaven, at the table as it is in heaven, in the city as it is in heaven, in the world as it is in heaven.